It's still me and Freddie. We're very tired. We're very busy, but <laughs> we've still got an episode this week. Because why yes. wouldn't we? Why wouldn't you want to listen or watch uh, this podcast? Me. It's a Monaco Grand Prix review edition. Uh, yeah, I think Freddie was going to say something there, so I'll let him say it. Go on, Freddie. Oh, no, I was making a silly joke. Don't worry. Um, I, I was like, well, I would, oh, love to listen. I would love to listen to this podcast was where I was going. Um, <laughs> but I, but so would I. But I don't, because I'm not a narcissist. I just edit it and then pretend to not be a narcissist when I actually yeah. am. Yeah. I've announced my Eurosport job, so I guess that's news, isn't it? Brendan? Yeah, that's amazing uh, news. I that just, was for just, me just to say. That. You said it. I was going to do a whole thing at the end. I had it all planned out. Oh. But anyway, um, <laughs> yes, guys, Nigel has got a job at the Eurosport website, so he's going to be writing about everything under the sun in sport. And if you've followed this podcast, if you followed Nigel, if, you, if you've not followed Nigel because you're not a creep and you just know who Nigel is. Um, you, you'd know that he's just an oracle and skiing, snooker, um, a bloody ice hockey or something ridiculous. Nigel will know everything about it. So he's going to be able to cover all the niche stuff on Eurosport, one of his favorite channels in the world. And he's got a paid job to do it, paid to just write about everything. So he's got it out of the sheer tenacity, the sheer skill he has at journalism, and it's absolutely fantastic. And honestly, and I, I know I speak for Adam when I say this as well, when we've spoken to Adam about this, but we are so proud of him. He's utterly fantastic, and he really deserves this role, and he's moving to the South, and it's going to be hilarious. Yeah, it will be. Well fun. done, well <laughs> done, well done. Honestly, I would, oh, I would give you a cake, but we don't. I don't know a cake. I and knew I like, bought a cake yesterday, to be fair. Just God, you are a narcissist. Yeah, genuinely, yes. And podcast fans, congratulate Nigel. They probably already have, to be honest. <laughs> we gave them a little gap there to whoop and holler. So. Uh, but yeah, that's all about Monaco. Uh, yeah, yeah Monaco. Sergio Perez winning. A bit of a surprise because, I mean... Normal to beat Verstappen is one thing, but then to win the race is absolutely amazing. I think for me, his best weekend performance in F1. Would you agree with that, Freddie? I would say it. Oh, I was thinking about this. There's only two I can think that come close. Um, and I think they only come close. I don't think they're quite there. Obviously, Malaysia 2012, where he nearly won in the Sauber. Mm-hmm. But he spun, so that puts it a notch down. Um, otherwise, he would really have won in a Sauber. So you can't knock that. Um, Baku 2016, where he qualified yeah. in the front row, but had a qualified on the front row in a Force India, ladies and gents. Um, you don't hear about them anymore. And um, then at a penalty because of a gearbox uh, thing, I think. And then came back to the podium anyway, mm. over be, beating um, on pace, well, uh, an ailing Lewis Hamilton in a Mercedes and a Kimi Raikkonen in a Ferrari um, and Red Bulls that year who were very good, all on pace in a Force India, which I, so I think that's a fantastic drive. But then this one, to be outstandingly outpacing Max Verstappen all weekend, um, to be the lead Red Bull driver for the whole thing, apart from the final sector of Q3, 
three that was run really let's be honest um but only that when it really didn't count um to then be exemplary in the race and be in the position where the race comes to him for once brilliant really brilliant really happy yeah for all of ferrari's mistakes which we will get on to in a moment perez drove brilliantly i mean his outlaps uh, on the intermediate tyres, he could have so easily overpost or drove too hard because he knew that was a key moment in the race and his inlaps as did. well. Yeah, yeah. He did the final. He did in the final stint. He, he over he overpushed it. But anyway, sorry, I'm 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 yeah. over nerding this already. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, but I think every single session, I think in the weekend, he was faster than Verstappen, and to do that against who for me is still the guy to beat. Yeah. Uh, it's just outstanding. I, and to do that at Monaco as well, which is a proper driver's track, probably the driver's track of the whole calendar. It's just amazing. And uh, especially after Spain as well, when he had to move over and because of the team orders. But all year he's driven really well. And so he, he deserves this win. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's right in championship contention if Verstappen has some bad luck or if he continues to perform like this. Because... Now we know if Verstappen is slightly off it, which for the first time in a long time he was, Perez is going to be right there to the pounce. And for Ferrari, that's a massive, massive danger for them. Uh, so, yeah, I think Perez, absolutely brilliant. Uh, what do you think he won the race ready? Uh, yeah. Well, as it was that you, um, that you said, we're going to talk about Ferrari, but mm. Ferrari in a position that was nothing to gain, everything to lose. And Rebel were in kind of arguably their best position, which is capable of victory, but needs that kind of spark. And if Rebel are in a creative, a position to potentially be creative and are fast enough to capitalise on that creativity, they're terrifying. That strategic team, coupled with the balls of Red Bull Racing, is... Is is arguably a lot of the time unstoppable, and it was really they um, they read the race to perfection. They read Pierre Gasly's performance to perfection, in where Ferrari faltered and stuttered. They really understood how to when to push, when to conserve, when to um, just catch everyone off guard. And I, I genuinely believe that Checo's intermediate stint, after the full wet, he came in onto the intermediates, um, sort of at, um, oh, quite a bit after midfield runners, because they needed a gap, but um, the earliest of the, of the front runners. And because that was the, the position Checo was in, um, to be the lead rebel driver to do that. And he, he conserved the Inter a bit because they didn't know what was going to happen. But then when they realised they didn't need to conserve it, um, that they knew that uh, midfield runners were going considering drives, they went for it, and that tyre switched on, and Checo was able to switch that on magnificently, and that just meant that he over- did a glorious overcut on the Ferraris, simple as. And, yeah, the Ferraris did respond to that at the right time. I mean, the Williams position around that, which I'm sure we'll get on to, um, the lapped cars not helping at all, but Ferrari had already kind of scuppered, had already handed him a few seconds based on their um, in insecurity over what to do with Charles Leclerc, um, and it was only really the 
the forthright nature and intelligent racing of Carlos Sainz that meant they're actually in, in the hunt for that win because Red Bull strategy and Sergio Perez's um, understanding of the car, confidence in the conditions and the tyres really helped. Otherwise, they could have lost to Sainz, not to Leclerc. I hope I've yeah. made sense there. If, you, if you've seen the race and know a bit about it, that helps. I probably didn't review it very well. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so I think it was the strategy. I think it was the strategy and I think it was... I don't think it was a gift. I think it was um, a tantalising thread that was snatched upon. Uh, yeah, I think, think Red Bull outfoxed. I think Red Bull outfoxed Ferrari. I think... I think because I thought when it got to about lap 12, 13, the leaders at least were going to go straight from wet to dry. So I think Red Bull caught Ferrari out by suddenly pitting printers with Perez. I freed up Verstappen a little bit so then he could start really pushing on. Uh, And then I I think Ferrari, I think they threw it away with Leclerc. I I really do. They either had to respond immediately on the next lap and I think, looking back at the time, he would have still come out ahead because he had that six seconds to Perez or something like that and I don't think Perez gained six seconds in one lap no. but instead they picked two laps after Perez yeah. and that's what killed him they made a mistake but it was kind of a halfway house once they knew Perez was, was going to get by which he did they should have done what they did with sides and gone from wet to dries and I think Leclerc still wins the race in that scenario so yeah, they, I agree. They couldn't have pitted out a worse time I think I think they threw it well they threw the last two races away one would the engine in Spain on the turbo, and now with strategy in Monaco. And for Red Bull to get a 1-3 and a 1-2 for the last two races, that is a ma- those are two massive moments. I know it's still very early in the championship, of course, but looking back at last year, the intensified between Mercedes and Red Bull, you cannot be throwing away, not guaranteed races, but races where you've got the fastest car, and then for your rival team to get a 1-2 or 1-3, that's going to really hurt because Red Bull will have to pass Scar at some point you know, over the next few races uh, and they might execute and win or get a 1-2-1-3. So that's where Ferrari have gone wrong because of reliability and now strategy. So equally, you've got to give credit to Red Bull though because we have seen it in the past. I always remember 2018 China when a safety car suddenly, popped, suddenly got called out and they were on it straight away. They knew yeah. to pit. They, paid, they double starts with Stafford and Ricardo, and then those two uh, came through. Well, Stafford had a, had a bad race, but Ricardo went from six to first uh, yeah. you know, by executing Red Bull's brilliant strategy. So I think operationally, Ferrari, Ferrari was showed up, unfortunately, and Red Bull just outfoxed them. So I think that's how the race was won, won really. Uh, yeah. yeah, any um, more thoughts on the strategy side of things, Freddie? Well, I think I mentioned it earlier, but Ferrari's graces were um, were vaguely saved with Carlos Sainz because of his mm. intelligence. It was him who was saying, no, I think we should stay out on the wets. I don't think we should go to the dries because he had the, the the forethought to think about other cars in this scenario and think about Monaco. Ferrari would, weren't, attacking a, weren't attacking it in a Monaco frame of mind. They were attacking it in a simply, which is in an ordinary wet race is, and it is the law of wet racing is, Put the tires on the car. The time the car needs that sec, that second, that exact lap, which is yeah, rule one of wet racing. But you throw the rule book out of normal strategy when you're in Monaco because of the nature of the track, the nature of the 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 fact that a driver needs to feel it. The the fact that 
they need to be sort of at one with it on top of the fact that then they can't actually raise. So you've got to throw so much into it to then make the decision. And Ferrari, to my knowledge, from watching it, weren't thinking about um, Monaco. They, I don't know, yeah. I don't know what they did in their like late night, late night talking um, debrief sessions, where they clearly didn't look at the 2016 Monaco Grand Prix, which was the last time we had wet running here, where Lewis Hamilton executed that strategy not to perfection because he went a lap too early, but as good as possible. So I don't know, um, some something was probably in their grape juice. Mm. I mean, the double stack as well. I mean, Leclerc lost a second, two seconds there. I mean, that probably cost him against Verstappen. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, just by double stacking. So, Leclerc, those two pit stops within, well, they must have been within six laps of each other. Just, you know, that, that, that six lap period just absolutely killed his race. He went from, you know, all right, he still could have had a podium, but then to be off the podium because of that double stack. He had every right to be furious. He was banging the steering wheel. Uh, I, I will be too. He, he's just <laughs> he's so annoyed at because it's not it's not his fault because the team see the whole situation. He can't. He can only drive as well as he can, which he did all weekend. I mean, the second run in Q3 before it was red flags was could have been some kind of almighty lap. He was on an absolute charge, like six temps up or something ridiculous yeah. like that. But even in back, the first part, part of the race, yeah, yeah, back. even in the first part of the race in the wet, he built he built a nice. Nice margin, uh, so there was nothing you could do, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, so yeah, there's a point in if you just go so far back and you, if you're in the fight for the win and you're fourth, you're just music for a sushi restaurant or something in Monaco, like you're nothing, you're just honestly just music to the people mm. watching it, and like it just becomes pointless in a way. I mean, it's not pointless, you got 12 points, but it's 12 points in relation to 25. I mean, you could be sat at Harry's house just having a chill at your mate or something, but no, he's got to drive around in circles now for, thank God it was a time-limited race, really, because otherwise, you know, it would have been absolutely hemped up. I, oh, it's, it's, it's such a hard one for him, isn't it? It's just, yeah, it was taken away from him because he drove exemplary. And he well, the last really two well. races has been taken away, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And the one criticism I would have, I mean, I don't know, I haven't studied this in depth, but I mean, from people who are cleverer than me who do kind of look at team radios and things like that, there wasn't that kind of discussion from Charles Leclerc to his engineers and that kind of strategy perspective that science was having. But I don't know that. I don't, but equally, that, the Red Bull drivers, I don't think they were speaking to their engine. They exactly, just kind of listened exactly. right box. Okay, I will kind of thing. It's the... It, takes us back to um, Sochi last year with Lando Norris, where they were putting the, the, the thought where they should have had so much more information than Norris. Obviously, they should have. McLaren were saying, well, what do you think? And then it was obviously the wrong decision. It's kind of like there's sides of it for that kind of thing. So I don't know. I think science is, is extra special when it comes to kind of being able to read the whole race from his cockpit, to be fair. So I think that's mm. that backtracking on my own putting a bit of daylight on it, backtracking on my criticism, really, there. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I think the key thing, well, let's move on to Max Verstappen, who did finish for, didn't have the best race, but I want to talk about him going over the white line, or allegedly going yellow, over the white yellow line, line. I, well, yeah, yellow line. I think he should have got a five-second time penalty, and I'm surprised it wasn't even investigated in the race as well, but looking back, he definitely crossed the line, so... 
I'm surprised he didn't get a penalty there. What, what your thoughts, Freddie? Uh, we discussed it at the time, and I suggested it was because he he was on slick tyres on a bumpy, wet bit of track, and actually the car control was still magnificent. You think he was turning for Leclerc? I've watched it again. He wasn't actually. It was yeah. a save, um, and so I kind of think from that side of it, I look at it and think that's the kind of benefit that doubtless stewards should enable, in my opinion. Um, if they're cutting corners, but also it turns out there's an event notes kind of thing. There's a change in it in the in the stewarding code, which is um, it sort of amounts to the fact that it's kind of whole wheel over the white line rather than sort of a bit of it over. Kind of like rugby compared to football seems to be the way it's kind of been interpreted for the ball line out throwing kind of procedure, that kind of thing. Um, and if you know about rugby and football, you'll get that. If you don't, tough. Um, and it did look like he crossed it and I hate the rule, but yeah, you know what? I think, I think probably, but I'm glad it didn't just because I, I hate the rule. So it's a different thing. I get the rule. It but should be simple though, shouldn't it? It should be, if you go, if you go over the line, or if you touch the line, uh, you get a penalty. If you don't, Precisely. You don't. we've seen it already with safety car lines in, in Saudi this year. Like that's something that should have been decided immediately and wasn't. And with Sainz and Checo in that instance um, for third and fourth. And it wasn't decided until post safety car period, which we had a discussion about on that pod. So ugh, I hate it, but yeah, but whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I have to think you just slightly, you use up a tiny bit of fortune. I think the staff all that, because for me, he did go over the line and he should have been penalised. Which... Oh, he did have fortune because he was, realistically the fourth fastest driver he wasn't the little freak he usually is so yeah yeah, he was promoted a position and so on but I don't yeah I mean Ferrari obviously protested it but who knows that was just to cover their own backs Um, (laughs) it's just like if other drivers do it now in the future if they go a tiny bit over like Verstappen did for me now they give it, oh, well, Verstappen did get a penalty in Monaco. So is every driver now allowed to go slightly over that? You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. So yeah, that's you're why right. I'm annoyed that he didn't get penalised. But there you go. I'm going to try uh, and watch Verstappen. it again. I'm going to try and find it and watch it live on the pod so we can have a, yeah. a live reaction. Oh, here we go. I found it. Um, <laughs> right. Um, I'm going to skip to the bit. Yeah. Oh, wait. Maybe not. He definitely went over. He definitely. Oh, you know, over. I don't think. I don't know. I don't know. Oh wait! Uh, I can't work out if it's the end of the line or not. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that looks like it goes over. Has... That looks like it goes over. Sorry, that was appalling content. <laughs> that was yeah. It was all. Oh, sorry. Sorry, if you are still listening or watching, uh, yeah, the Stafford has extended his lead. Well, in the championship, which is very important because Leclerc, it looked like Leclerc was going to take the lead back. And again, it goes back to it Ferrari making the mistakes, Red Bull capitalizing. And if that continues to be the theme of the championship, well, Ferrari's going to throw it away like they did in 2018, quite frankly. Yeah. Well, 2017 and 2018, mainly 2018, but we can take 2017 as well. Uh, yeah, any, any final thoughts on the top two teams, Shreddy, Red Bull, and Ferrari? Um. 
I think it's very, very nice to see how close they were at pace, on pace at this track. I think uh, you can mm-hmm. put, you can separate them. And I was, there's a reason the top four were um, covered by um, three seconds um, at points. And even at the end, obviously, but I mean, that was more because of Checo's graining. But uh, even in the final stint, even when they all kind of had good tyres, they were still only covered by about seven or eight seconds. And I, I really like that. Yeah, it's fantastic to see them. Not well, they were nose to tail at some points actually. But seeing four cars like that around Monaco, close to the barriers, you know, within two seconds, it's just brilliant. Even even if you know it's unlikely there's going to be an overtake, but there's still that tension there. Yeah, it's Monaco. There were parts of it I felt like I was daydreaming and stuff like that. So, (laughs) yeah, Uh, let's move on to Mercedes a little bit. A bit of a quieter weekend for them, didn't really Mm. have to pace. Russell in his obligatory top five result and how to was kind of stuck in the Alonso train. So probably I don't think they'll be too happy, but they won't be too disappointed either for Mercedes. Yeah, it was it was a weird weekend for Merck. Like it's a really hard one to kind of look at the last two races and kind of weigh them up for Merck upgrades kind of things. And I think we've had we've said this as well. Like Spain is traditionally a good track for Merck. Monaco is traditionally quite a poor track for them. And that kind of worked anyway. I mean, we've also said that the Monaco characteristics really don't suit their car. So to, to be where they were, I thought was absolutely all right. They, they of course, had that kind of vague qualifying deficit to Norris and um, Hamilton was actually slipping, obviously slipping back to the Alpines as well with that, to Alonso and arguably Vettel, you could say. Um, and that's, a, that's not representative of where their race pace was, but you can't afford with that that kind of thing in Monaco. So George was able to do it on that first run in Q3, but all before that and bits in the race, Lewis was the faster driver. So when it mattered, Lewis wasn't able to do it, which is very interesting. Um, And that's kind of my main takeaway from Merck is that this is kind of one of the first times this year where I'm willingly saying, yeah, when it mattered, Lewis didn't perform in the way that George did, because there's been lost so many caveats to that this year. Um, that this is as a true representation of those two drivers. George did a better job. I mean, I, it's obvious. It's rule forty-five. There's so many. I say rule number one all the time, so I'm adding a different number. Rule forty-three of Monaco or whatever is do the Q3 banker lap really well because there's going to be a red flag at the end. We keep seeing them, so go on your new tires first. Why not do that? And they went yeah. and they used tires and. It didn't work. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, well, it's been a few years now since we've had like the second runs in Q3 being able to be completed. So, yeah, I don't know why Mercedes did that. But, uh, yeah, bit of a, probably the most quiet weekend they've had so far because they didn't expect to do that well around Monaco because they've yeah. never have. Well, they have won, obviously, but they've not been as strong compared to other tracks. So, yeah, getting, getting probably the right amount of points out from how to maybe should have got a few more. So then we're on. They should be stronger in Baku. Alpine were the next team on the results with Alonso uh, <laughs> having a bit one by one three to four seconds slower than everyone else. Uh, why do you think he did that, Freddie? Oh, because he's got magic powers and <laughs> he wanted to be weird. He's like Matilda. He just sort of makes weird things happen. Um he was just giving two fingers to everyone, wasn't he? That's why. Yeah. That's it. He doesn't care. It, it hurt his teammate, though, didn't it? Because Ocon had the penalty. And then because they were all in a train, Ocon then obviously fell out of the points because he, he was ninth. Yeah. 
it did hurt his, he, it did hurt his teammate it wasn't good communication through that um i'd be interested to read a radio transcript of transcript of alonda saying so fine what are you doing and he says like i'm, I'm driving I'm, I'm they're just like okay keep driving and <laughs> just see what see what happens but i think really a lot of it is a big two fingers up to just want to go really actually in a way yeah. it's just kind of saying look what i can do <laughs> in a fernando yeah. way because i think you know what he looks at that and thinks yeah i'm, I'm not going to overtake russell I'm, I'm i'm not going to do that norris nah miles away I'll just sit here. It's fun. Make my own game. And I kind of buy that. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I'll, I won't sit here. I don't sit here every week and say, Fernando Alonso, love of my life. I think, I think I take a lot of what he says with a pinch of salt. And I kind of think he's a great meme and he's really fun to laugh at. But, you know, I kind of get just kind of just sitting there and just being like, ha I can keep you behind me, but I'm going really slowly. Ha um, I just kind of can sit him, sit, just imagine, I'm sitting here imagining him just, in his apartment in that evening after the race, just just pointing at pointing at the track and laughing. Yeah, such an Alonso thing to do. But he's driving well. well he's drove well all year. And I think he's now finally getting some points to kind of show that, which which is good. And I think Alpine will be happy to to beat Alpha Romeo as well because Alpha Romeo, I expected at least to be really strong this weekend. But I think they weren't. Well, they didn't quite have the pace of Bottas's problems in Friday practice. I think he had an engine problem. That kind of put him on the back foot for the rest of the weekend. So I think they'll be disappointed a bit because they have got a short wheelbase car. They have looked good in the slow speed yeah. corners, but didn't quite come together, unfortunately, for Alfa Romeo. Uh, what other teams do you want to speak about in the midfield, Freddie? I do, want to go, I do want to go back to Ocon. Um, Ocon. Because... Um, he deserved that penalty. I mean, not for the one we saw on the broadcast, the one that we didn't see on the broadcast, where he, um, I don't know if, if people listening to it would have seen it. It's done a few rounds on... Scribe it. ...on social media. But um, basically, Hamilton was alongside, and he just, under braking at that at a really tight bit, sort of just turned into essentially the pit entry and forced Hamilton into the, into the wall, made contact with him. Surprisingly, he didn't get spun round, um, which beggars even more kind of causing a collision i think the, the phrase I've, I've said this before the phrase causing a collision is is an awful one because to me sometimes that um begs intent of causing a collision as well as just it's happened um for me sometimes in that kind of phrase is for penalties but i think it was a deliberate kind of attempt just to do a late move and just to try and scare someone off in a way that's impossible in a way that we've seen too many times with Esteban Ocon that I'm finding a little bit uncomfortable um, to watch now. He was deserved five second penalty and he deserved to not finish in the points. Um, there's no way him and Lewis Hamilton are boyfriends after that um, because, yeah, I think if I were Lewis, I would be terrified to put my, my nose up there anymore. I'm surprised he did it more than once, to be honest, because he... He, there could have been a, some very severe crashes and a faster track, but Ocon isn't afraid to do that kind of thing. We saw it in Saudi Arabia a lot this year, even with his teammate, he was doing those kind of moves. Um, we know his history with Perez when they were at Racing Point and Force India together. So, tut, 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 Esteban. Um, I'm not very happy with you. Um, yes. Yeah. I think it's kind of like how Verstappen was perceived uh, five or six years ago. Because never did anything that still, worse. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Ocon's kind of 
getting into it as well, still doing it now, basically. Yeah. So it's not to get out of that habit. Uh, but of course, we want to see drivers attacking and being aggressive and shutting the door. But I think he has overstepped it a couple of times this year, like you say, Freddie and Saudi. And now the counter move that wasn't under my broadcast. So yeah, I think the penalty was fair as well. Uh, yeah, I think the team should probably advise him just to be just just, just to watch out a bit. I think, but you know, we'll see. I I, I feel like it's and. I love Esteban. He's a fantastic driver. He's really fast and he's really determined. But you do get the impression that saying those kind of things to him is a bit talk, is a bit like talking to a brick wall. I think we've we've seen it through his mentality a lot in a lot of things and a lot of interviews and a lot of I, I really drive to survive as well. Where it's kind of like, well, it's not my fault. Checo tried to kill me. It's not my fault. Um, um, I didn't do anything. He just shouldn't put his nose there. That kind of thing. He's he's got that kind of mentality of yeah, well, I'm the right racing driver. He's he's not like I don't know, he needs to be beamed to a satellite or something to kind of change his mind. And, you know, that's something you get if you go into the cinema. Like, you're not going to, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so I just get, I, I felt, I feel like there's an, it's never going to happen really with him, actually. And I, I find that hard to, hard to say about anyone else, but I feel it's a losing battle to try and change that desperate racecraft. Mm, possibly. Yeah, that is an interesting point of view. Uh, yeah. I mean, if he has a couple more clashes, then yeah, maybe other people will kind of see that point. But yeah, that's something I've never really thought about actually. About if he will change his, I guess, racecraft style. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, let's move on. Uh, sorry, sorry to get you all philosophical. <laughs> no, I've never really thought about Ocon being like that. But you, you are right. There are lots of examples from the last mm. five years of being quite aggressive. So yeah. Anyway. Uh, I'll think about that later on. Uh, we will yeah. speak about McLaren on the next podcast, whatever that is, but uh, kind of in more detail because we don't want to overwhelm the podcast with Ricardo Norris stuff. Uh, so we will get yes. on to that. Uh, Haas didn't score any points no. again, but uh, Mick Schumacher thankfully was okay. We saw a couple of big crashes at the weekend at the swimming pool chicane, mm-hmm. but the Monaco Marshall was absolutely brilliant. The tech pro barriers as well did did the right job. Uh, so credit to them. Uh, any thoughts on the kind of, well, crashes that we saw, the safety aspects, Freddie? I think mixed crash was absolutely terrifying the way it was mm. strewn across the swimming pool exit. But it was a relatively minor accident. The car absorbed so well. Yeah. The qu- quantity and multitude of tech pro there made it a non-event as a, of a crash, really. Um, but the sort of collision with the wall of ripping a part of the chassis really made it an event in Hass's bank account, um, which is really unfortunate for them. In seven races, it's the second huge, huge crash for Mick. Um, mm. It's the count. It's countless for the number of kind of little crashes, if you, if you want to call like that collision with Seb in um, Miami and stuff like that. If you want to include all of those in there as well, and. Um, you know what, Hass are laying down a few markers for him now. Um, and I, I said this, and you've said this, and we've had this conversation about mixed form. I think that will also be brought up in our um, next week podcast where we talk about driver form because it is getting to that kind of um, yeah. point where, okay, we've had the first few races grace. 
um, now we look at your form and realize it's not very good. Um, but really, it's a Monaco crash. You do have to take it with a pinch of salt. Monaco crash in the wet is going to be what the the size of a um, pen um, yeah. offline, and that's going to have been what's caused that crash. So it, I do have sympathy for that. Um, it's yeah, it's it's not nice though. Yeah, it's a small not- mistake, big consequences kind of thing. This dip looks like he dipped a wheel, yeah, dried tire in the wet, and that kind of set him round, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the only other major talk point is, well, the major talk point we're going to finish with is the start, <laughs> so <laughs> the start procedure. Uh, now there's something to do with the lights not working. I read slash. Yes. Yes. Store well, stormy conditions. Let's say. Uh, what have you heard about it? In case well, people haven't heard. They just basically the rain poured and they just stopped. They glitched and yeah. wouldn't work. And you know, that's kind of fair enough. Um, mm. It's a good reason to not start the race is because the start won't work. Um, I don't know why we weren't told that at the time and why it's kind of yeah. trickled out. Um, I don't think it's embarrassing if you say it at the time and you say, oh, it's all gone a bit mad because we all have to turn our phones off and on again, that kind of thing. <laughs> F1 cars break down all the time. So it's yeah. you know what? It's fine for F1 to have a mistake in that regard. Um, so it's it's the multitude of consequences of so many other things that people get annoyed about. But you know what? that's fine for the start lights at a street track to not work very well. Yes, they had worked in the morning and that kind of thing for the F2 and they'd work for the Porsches and stuff. Um, so really, it probably could have been a pretty quick fix if they'd said what the issue was and hadn't had to kind of hush it up. They could have publicly looked at it. But it kind of got the impression they were sort of just trying to be like, oh, no, oh, maybe, oh, thank God it's raining. We can do a safety car. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like there is a bit of, there's two sides of the coin. Like you can't, you can't constantly have a press officer in all of the meetings to relay everything. But you're you're not at a club racing event anymore. You're at mm. Formula One in Monaco, so you can't just leave everyone sitting around in the dark when it is fine. Really, it is, and and under the impression that of, of really that's of unsafe conditions when it's not unsafe conditions and stuff like that. So I. It was all just a bit of a, a mess. They didn't seem to have kind of figured out and accounted for. I think it happened at the Hong Kong Formula E round in season three of Formula E yeah. or season four where the lights didn't start. I can't quite remember how they dealt with that. I think they just, just waited and just did it, um, just sorted it out. Yeah. And they had you know a couple what? of restarts then, I think, didn't they? Or something. Oh, I can't remember. It was a weird oh, race. Anyway. <laughs> was that the one where Sam Bird crashed in the pit lane and still won? I can't remember. Um this isn't the Formula E season three or four podcast. Yeah, we're getting distracted. Um, <laughs> Motorsport talk. What? Oh, yeah, we need Adam here. <laughs> he keeps us on track about the actual race that we watched, not about a race really, from 2017. <laughs> hey, there we go. Um, but yeah, you know what? Just tell us, guys, please. I mean, we're I, I, quite I, forgiving I, fans. <laughs> well, <laughs> some of us are. But I, I yeah, think I am. <laughs> even if they had started on time, I think they would have already have done like one proper race lap. I don't know because I think there almost certainly would have been mayhem into Sandbot if they did a did a standard yeah, start. Yeah, true. Because the rain started coming down. So then you get a safety car, 
then they would have red flags anyway because the rain was torrential and they had to stop it. So we didn't really miss that much, even if the would rain been started interesting, on though. time. Would have had inters yeah, and slick have. start. We'd have had mm. people then pitting off the formation lap. It would probably have been closer to a Hungary kind of thing that we yeah. last year that we said we'll never see that again. We would have had like <laughs> Norris, the first car on the grid, or something random, and mm. it would have been bonkers. And we could have had a a very very weird um, start to the race, at least that could you know become nothing because of the red flag rules and stuff like that that they have in Formula One, but. It would have been fun, but I mean, woulda, coulda, shoulda is nothing. The race we got was the race we got, and it was a good race, so fine. Yeah. We yeah, got a absolutely. race, like yeah, they got through it. We got, did get a race, and we the, the clock rules need revamping again because they're still a bit crap, in my opinion. But um, <laughs> like, why was the clock running and not running and running and not running? It made no sense. Um, I, but then it I was mean, because the three-hour window is always running. <laughs> yeah, like the four-hour window is much better. Anyway, um, that's a no. I'm I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> cool. What about you, Nigel? Uh, but yeah, no, it, it, it was a dramatic race. I mean, that nice to maybe we got a great race, especially for Monaco. It was probably as good as it can get for Monaco. Yeah, uh, and we had a great weekend overall. I think Corbin was very exciting as well. We had, had overtakes. We had overtakes, and I think I think. Yeah, we didn't. We, we had really near overtakes at the front as well, but mm. you, and there's lots of stuff doing the rounds. And I think, yeah, this is another argument for Monaco TV direction being a piss poor. But um, <laughs> I'm seeing so much on social media about the, the fortunate people who have F1 TV Pro sharing it online from their screen recordings and stuff like that. Of like someone like, oh, here's Vettel overtaking Ricardo. Oh, overtaking Gasly. Oh, but here's this is um, Joe being overtaken by Latifi or something like that. Just like little spicy little battles that did happen that we just didn't nothing what oh wow this race had lots going for it that just wasn't yeah. broadcast in a way which is a real shame um yeah. but it's all it is all coming out due to the nature of the way formula one and social media works which is very good i'm very happy about that so i'm yeah. it's a gift that keeps on giving in a weird way this race yeah, I agree, and that's that. That is something that's been talked about in terms of the contracts. Monaco is out of contracts, so we're not sure if we are going to be back here. And actually, that is something I've read that Liberty want to take ownership of the Monaco uh, Grand Prix broadcast rather than having the uh, local organisers. And I've also read about potential track changes, so it'd be interesting if any of that's happening or if that's just a negotiating uh, bargain to try and. I think uh, it's a bit of both. You know, sign a new deal. Yeah, possibly. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, and that is the last kind of thing, Freddie. We both know that we would like Monaco to stay on yes. the calendar, but do you think it will? Yes, I do. I do think it will. I do think um, Monaco won't have any control of the sponsorship in the future because let's be honest, if it says Tag Heuer official watch of the Monaco Grand Prix and then you have Rolex next to that sponsorship, it just looks a bit naff. So I think Monaco are going to have to just wait till those kind of and F1 are also going to have to wait till those sponsorship deals run out, but they're going to have to kind of match up a bit. And I do think um, the sort of ancient rule uh, contracts regarding TV rights just need to be kind of dealt with because let's be honest, it's 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 a it's kind of, it's just a hangover of the Bernie era. That's kind of just Bernie's just saying, oh yeah, 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 we can't ship the TV stuff to Monaco, so we just have to let you do it. Now nah, they can do it. Now they can. They can just put it on a hill. So 
even the, if you can get all those paddocks to Monaco, paddock things to Monaco, you can get a TV tent. You can, you can get a tent to Monaco. Uh, that's a great way to finish off <laughs> the podcast. A tent to Monaco. Uh, my thanks to Freddie for joining me as usual. I know we planned it for hosting so, me. Of course, you join me. Uh, and thanks for listening as on watching as well. Uh, we should be back for an Azerbaijan preview or also going to talk about McLaren. Uh, we're both now going to finish off our uni work. So until after that, we'll see you Bye. next time. Goodbye, everybody.